Good job. Awesome. Awesome. That's one of my favorites. I've been listening to that on the radio, and uh, that's a fantastic song. Okay, y'all find 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to move around just a little bit today inside of this chapter, but uh, while you're turning to 1 Corinthians 10, our text is in uh, chapter in chapter 10, verse 14 through 22, but I'm going to mention uh, verse 23 and following just as a, as a recap, and so I want to ask you a question this morning, just to see, I, I, I practiced on the staff, just to see what they would say, and I got the right, I, I got what I wanted from them, and so I want to see if I get the same connection with you. A sermon title today is Dinner with the Devil, and uh, we're gonna, I'm going to unpack all of this, it's going to take me a little time to unpack it. Uh, so I'm going to be moving fast through a lot of this because I'm getting to chapter 11 and then we're going to change where we are in the text. Is you'll remember we're in the text, we talked about divisions in the church, sexual immorality, and now we're in the section of the entire book of, about food. And Paul is talking about our witness, honoring God with our bodies, what we eat, what we drink, where we go, what we do. And this is the last part of that before we go into honoring God in worship. We're looking in worship. So now I have a question for you today. Now, outside of Jesus, you can't pick Jesus, okay? You can't pick Jesus. It's one of those times you've got to leave Jesus out of it, okay? You say, I don't want to do that. Well, you're going to have to right here. If you had two people you could eat dinner with, one a secular person and the, and the other a Bible character, who are the two people you would eat dinner with? Wow, that's a good question, isn't it? So... Well, let me just help you. I just, you know, for me, I thought uh, my, my Bible character would be uh, the Apostle Paul. I would love to eat with, there's a lot of others. So, see, before you answer too quickly, because in the staff, everybody said, oh, uh, Paul. And then, oh, wait a minute, what about Esther? What about, uh, what about Malachi? What about John? Ooh, wow. Uh, what about, and then they started thinking, I got, wait a minute, that, is that who I really want to eat dinner with? And my other one was uh, Spurgeon. I'd love to have sat down with Spurgeon. Uh, they said that Spurgeon, we don't really have any audio of Spurgeon preaching, but they said Spurgeon looked like he was swatting bees while he was preaching. I was like, he was throwing down. I just know it. So, so somebody tell me who, uh, t- tell me who your Bible characters are. John, Paul, Esther. Luke, it's a good one. Uh, so, all right, how about some secular folks, anybody? Who would you like to? I mean, there's a ton of people in history that you may just want to sit down with because you thought they were interesting, right? What did you say, Sue? Ronald yes, Ronald Reagan, that's awesome. Who? Martin Luther, oh, boy, that would be a good one, too. D.L. Moody, who? Okay, yes, get unbelievers with Paul. It's a, now, that is a great thought right there. You get so, but let me, let me ask you this, though. Would you eat dinner with the devil? Anybody want to eat dinner with the devil? How about just a regular old demon? How about an imp? Anybody want just with a little bitty imp? How about a murderer? How about a murderer? Anybody want to eat? How about a molester or a robber? Murderer? No, nobody want to eat dinner with anybody like that. Can I tell you that Paul warns the people in our text today, he says, be careful what you do, you may be eating dinner with the devil. And so Paul is wrapping up this whole thing about culture. And I think this is quite beautiful because here we are in this, in this area 
Paul said that there's nothing unholy as he wraps all this up. He says there's nothing really unholy about the meat that was offered to idols or the, the, where they sacrificed them, where they was at. But what are the behaviors that we participate in that are quintessentially demonic? I, I, I believe, I want to ask you a question, are you in the culture? And when, when I read the text, you're going to see what I'm talking about. Paul's going to, Paul's going to get down to that. And, and really, he's going to use one of the most bizarre illustrations to explain what, what he's talking about in all of Scripture. And it's magnificent once you see it. When you first see it, you think, why is Paul doing this? And then after, afterwards, you see, and after I get through unpacking this for you, you're going to say to yourself, oh, my goodness, that was actually brilliant. And so in chapter 10, the first, uh, the first 13 verses, Paul is talking about the idolatrous people of Israel. And he's saying, you, you guys were brought out. You remember I preached this last week, and they were given all these wonderful things. They were, they were blessed, but they were unthankful. They were grumblers. They were idolaters. They were sexually immoral. Paul gives us, and he says, these, these examples that I'm talking to you about were given to us so that we literally would not make the same mistakes. And so Paul, Paul really sets the context for this entire book right here. If you were looking for it, Paul is really having a hard time with these people that were pagans who gave their life to Jesus, and now they've come in to know the Lord. They're a part of the kingdom of God there in the church in Corinth, and they've brought the culture with them. That's not much different than what we're doing today, by the way. And so people get in, and now we really we, we have you know preachers today that are actually... Uh, acquiescing to the culture. They're giving in to the culture. There, there's a church across town that are having two men come who are married to do a conference. A, a church with 40,000 members in it, by the way. You, you know, and so I'm, I'm wondering what in the world's going on. In verse number 7 of chapter 10, he he says, he says this, don't be idolaters as some of them were, as is written. The people sat down to eat, drink, and, and they got up to play. Paul says, you, Corinthians, don't be like they were and be idolaters. And God has just about beat the idolatry out of the Jews today. They're not idolaters. They're lost. They're away from God, but they're not idolaters. They have all kind of other problems. He says, don't be idolaters. The nation was punished literally with death and Paul says don't that 23,000 of them were, were bitten by snakes and died because they had a pagan festival they had a ceremony with a calf and so Paul continues his argument and his theology lesson concerning meat offered to idols he says listen there's nothing wrong with the meat he says but when you go and participate at their festivals, when you participate in the pagan activities, then you have sinned and you're, in, you're inviting idolatry into your life. You're inviting demons into your life. And, and then he says, uh, I love what Wiersbe says, two extremes have to be avoided. He says, practicing license in the name of Christian freedom and being so fussy that we can't live in a real world. And so we, we have these people that we try to live with. And Paul, up to this point, I've tried to put it in plain English for us, that no, no, not license, not legalism, but Paul says you are literally, as God's people, you are called to liberty. In chapter 8, verse 9, he says, 
but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to yourselves and to the weak. In Galatians 5, Paul point blank says that for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. I'm not to be a legalist, but I'm also not to live with license. I'm not supposed to just be so liberal with what I allow and do that I become uh, an idolater or I get in trouble with my liberty. In 1 Peter 2.15, he says, For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as servants of Christ. He says, don't let your liberty and your Christian maturity cause other people to stumble. Paul is finalizing all these things. And so our context is still in the middle of food. But we're going to very quickly, when we get to chapter 11, we're going to move into uh, worship and what's appropriate for worship. And Paul, this illustration that Paul uses right here in, in the first part, then in verse 14, look in 10, 14, as we look at the text a little closer, as pastor leads you into this. Now hang in there with me because this, this text is a little bit difficult and I'm going to lead you into this very slowly and then about two-thirds of the way through I'm going to drop the hammer. You all right? And so I want you to understand where we're going. Look in verse 14. Therefore, therefore what? What I just told you. Paul says, here's where we've been. We've been talking about food offered to idols. I've been talking about your Christian liberty. I've been talking to you, telling you're called to holiness and that you set aside all of, all of your Christian rights for the weaker brother. And he says, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I think that's about as clear as it possibly can get. The, the word here is, is flee means to get out. The other word that Paul uses is the word for feet and to exit. He says exodus with your feet. Ex basis is the Greek word. He says take your foundation and get out of there. And so if you look back a little bit further into verse number 12 and 13, he says no temptation has taken you but what is common to man and with it God will make a way for you to escape. If you're about to sin, if you're about to use your body in any way that is contrary to the liberty that God's given you in Christ, it says in the scripture that God will provide a way for you to get out. All you got to do is move your feet. You got to get out of there. Don't invite the culture in. And so Paul has stated that to eat the meat, not a big deal. Eat the meat if you want to. But there's a catch to it. But he cautions that some behaviors would be idol worship. So don't take your freedom too far. MacArthur says they were free to attend pagan functions, but they were not free to participate in false worship. And I want to tell you, that's going to exclude me for some church services. I'm not going across town. I can't worship with Andy Stanley. I can't worship with Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and Paula White and Benny Hinn because those people are satanic. They've walked away from the truth. They've walked away from God. It's about time we had some preachers that had guts enough to say what's going on. And Paul says, don't get into the culture. Paul says, if, if there's a temptation, and by the way, that verse doesn't talk about trials. And people, here's how they interpret that. They say, oh, well, God won't put more on you than you can stand. Baloney. That's not what it says. He's talking about temptation, not trials. If you don't think losing somebody that you love very much is too much on you, I got news for you. It is too much for you. And the point is that God will help you handle what he gives you. 
He doesn't give you what you can handle. If you could handle what happens to you, you wouldn't need Him. So let's put the Word of God in context like it belongs and teach it like it really is. You're going to see that context is so important. The context has literally not changed. Paul says, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, my, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And I don't understand why we can't understand to get away from idolatry because we, we trust our hearts. Can I tell you that you cannot trust your heart? You can't trust my heart either. You can't even trust yours. What makes you think you can trust mine? Mine is in the flesh. I'm waiting on my new body, and, my, and every, I've got the Spirit of God living in me, but I can fall just as quick as the next guy. Jeremiah says my heart is sick. It says, as a matter of fact, he says it's desperately wicked and sick. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, Nothing can hide its evil as well as the human heart. This is why we are to flee and we are to run and we're never ever to drag the weaker brother into our foolishness. Very simple. I bought a new Christian's book. The name of the book, I'm going to tell you what the name of it is, Now That I'm a Christian. It's written by Patton and this quote comes from page 11. It's a great book except for one paragraph. I shared it with my staff. I said, I want y'all to look at this. Am I just being crazy? Am I just looking at this? It's nuts. Here's the paragraph. And when I'm done reading the paragraph, I will, I will help you. So he's talking about the passion that one should have for something new in their lives. And so when you come to Christ, you should have a passion in order to disciple yourself. And here's the illustration that he uses to try to explain this. Anyone passionate in any subject which seeks to learn more and more about the subject, people who are passionate about wine become students of wine. They learn about the art of winemaking, different varieties and different climates and soil nutritions, uh, and nutritions uh, fermentation, barreling, pairing, and proper testing techniques. They love the taste of it, but the taste is greatly enhanced by their knowledge. Why did you put that in a new Christian's book? Listen very carefully to me. You drink a glass of wine, that's your business. Paul says you have liberty. Why would you put that in a book about, for new Christians? And can I tell you this? The guy I was going to give the book to, listen, recovering alcoholic. I couldn't give it to him. Why? Because I'm not going to have his blood on my hands that here's a brother whose, whose life was ruined by alcohol, who got away from alcohol, and then pastor gives him a new Christian's book that just said it was okay. Not playing that game. Let me ask you, is, is that a good illustration for a, for a new Christian's book? No. Let him grow in faith and he'll decide the Lord will clean him up and get in and out of his life what he needs in and out of his life. I'm not going to implicate myself in that. James tells us to be very careful about what we do. Now, let me, let me do this before we run. I'm going to just run through this because I, I don't want to skip the Scripture. But look at verse number 23. See, here's Paul. this is how Paul closes out this whole argument about our witness and what we can and can't allow. We've been doing this for, since chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Paul says everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds me up. Paul says you've got liberty in Christ. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says you were called to liberty. And, and that means that I'm not going to come around and, and bang on your door and say, what are you all doing tonight? What movies are you watching? Where are you going? 
Uh, what are you eating? What kind of food do you have? Are you eating food offered to idols? No, you've got liberty in Christ. The Lord will tell you what to do, and I'm going to give you the standard here in just a moment. But everything that you do, you have liberty, but it doesn't mean it's going to build you up. And you've got to decide that for yourself. No, no one should seek his own good but the good of his other person. This is, the, this is the conclusion to chapter 8, 9, and 10. Paul's saying, if it's not good for your brother, don't make your brother stumble. If I'm eating with somebody who, let me get, I mean, I'm just going to make it real for you. If I'm eating with somebody who comes from India and I'm trying to reach him for Christ and he worships cows, we're not having ribeyes. I know in my heart that it's ridiculous that they're worshiping cows, Right? But I'm not going to offend my brother. I'm going to do everything that we can in order to keep that door open so I can lead him to Jesus. And then Jesus will, then Jesus will teach him what he wants in and out of his life. Okay? And so if you're a person who drinks different beverages and you have somebody to your house and that person's an alcoholic, you fail God. You've killed your witness. How can you do that? He, Paul says the other person is the most important thing, not you you're, you're, you're supposed to be the mature believer, so suck it up, Mac, right? You all right? I mean, is that one meal or one drink worth that? No, it's not. Eat everything that is sold in the market, he says. Ask no questions for conscience sakes, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Everything God's made, the Lord says, it's up to you whether you participate or whether you eat or drink. Everything's in there. Now, I'm going to question that when it comes to to gnats and mosquitoes. I don't, I don't know if the Lord made those or not. <laughs> but bats got to eat, okay? Y'all all right? If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go eat everything that is set before you without raising questions of conscience, say. So you go to someone's house, you're a believer, they're a believer, and they offer you something, you're the mature believer, eat it. It's fine. You don't have to say, now, when you went to Quality Foods, where'd that ribeye come from? I can promise you, you cook the pasta a ribeye, I will not ask you where it came from. I can tell you where it's going, but I won't tell you where it came from. I'll be all right with that. Amen? But if someone says to you, this is food offered to an idol, don't eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and conscience sake. He said, listen, if you got a brother with you that's a vegan or whatever, bless their heart, you just say, no, we decline, okay? Or if you went somewhere and someone served an alcoholic beverage and you have someone there that's with you that's a younger believer, and you say, no, nope, not going to do that. No, 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 thank you. Can we have tea? You sacrifice your rights for the weaker brother. Y'all all right? It's for the other person. But he says, for conscience sake. And Paul says in Romans 14, if you do something that violates your conscience, you're damned already because whatsoever is not a faith is sin. Paul said, see, some of you worry about, well, can I do this and get away with it? We like to get as close to the fire as we can. But let me tell you, Paul says, your conscience, if there's no Bible verse you can put on it, but your conscience violate, you violated your own conscience, don't do it. You, you can do something and say, you know, I'm going to get in trouble if I do this. I got to be careful. Don't do it. Let me tell you, a man told me one time, I never bought a lake house because I know exactly what will happen. I'll end up down there on the weekend and I won't go to church like I'm supposed to. Guess what the fool did? Bought a lake house. Guess what happened? He violated his own conscience. This is food offered to an idol. Then he goes down for, he says, I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's conscience. 
for why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? There's some folks go around trying to be the Holy Spirit for everybody and tell them what's good for them and what's not for them and you don't need to do this, you don't need to do that. And their life is a wreck. I'm not the Holy Spirit in your life. Jerry Gray's got a lot on his plate. Y'all all right? I got my own problems. I got my own temper. I have my own lust. I have my own issues that I'm dealing with. Now, when it comes to the pulpit, this is my job. I'm going to lay you open. <laughs> you all right? I'm going to tell you the truth from the pulpit. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing it. If I partake with thanks, why am, I, why am I slandered? Because of something I give thanks for. Now, here we go. Y'all all right? Here it is. Here's the context of the entire book. Here's what Paul's telling them. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. That's the standard. So here you are. You're about to go do something. And you've got to decide, is this going to be something that you can participate in? You're going to read this. You're going to go to that movie. You're about to drink this. Can you say this, what I'm about to participate in, will glorify God? That's the standard. Paul says, you want to go into culture? You want to go to Braves game? Have at it. But if they participate in something that is pagan and you participate, Paul says you're inviting demons in your life. You're eating dinner with the devil. You see, you say, does it say that, Brother Jerry? We're coming. It's coming. I'm laying the foundation. Y'all all right? So, see, I don't see anything wrong with, uh, see, now, it's been a long time since this happened to me, but I went to the 49ers were playing the Falcons to go to, to win for the NFC Championship and whoever wins goes to the Super Bowl, okay? And I went in, and dumb pastor wore my 49ers jacket. Whoop. Me and like two other people were 49ers in the whole stadium. I got cussed. I made the mistake of going to the bathroom. And I didn't think I was going to get out of there alive. And I had a man next to me sitting there. And he kept acting like he was going to pour his beer on me. Hey, 49er boy, you know. And, and so, and I didn't mind even drinking. It don't bother me a bit. I grew up around it. Doesn't bother, I mean, I'm as you know, easy going as it could be. But I got tired of it. And, and I helped him with a witness. I said, if you pour that beer on me, I'm going to beat the pulp out of you. And so I bought this ticket. And I'm going to sit here. And you're going to leave me alone. I'm going to punch you in the nose. You, you got that? <laughs> And my buddy was with me, and he said, he's not kidding. <laughs> I said, if you were to die today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? So I got tired of it. And then when I left out of there, I thought to myself, what kind of pagan shrine did I just go to? It was not godly. It was not fun. And I realized right then and there, I don't belong in this place. I lost my witness. I lost my sanity. It was ugly. And I realized this is not a place for me. And I realized that an NFL game, unless you're in the right spot, was not a place I needed to be. You see, I've, my conscience said no. Now, if you go, that's up to you. I, see, you have liberty in Christ. So now, how, do, how does this work with us? Look at verse number 15. Let's come back home right here. So uh, as we get into the text, you'll see how, now Paul, after he says, whatever you've done, does it glorify God? And then he says, look, verse 32, I'm sorry, give no offense to the Jew or the Greek, 
He says, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm to please everybody but the prophet of, of, of many. I'm trying to help them. And here's what Paul says in the last verse of chapter 10. He says, so that they may be saved. So see, if my behavior helps to assist in you coming to know Christ, that glorifies God. I'm involved in that. But I can, I, you know, he says, I want to be, I want to do what God wants me to do. And so we go from there, okay? So now let's, let's back up. That was the end of that chapter, how Paul does it. But now watch. This may be the best sermon illustration I've ever read in the Bible. And when you hear this, you just say, what is Paul talking about? Now notice, he says, verse 14, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Verse 15, I am speaking as to wise people, judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing that we give thanks for is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The, bled, the bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one, one bread, and we who are many are one body. For all of us share the one bread. Look at the people of Israel. Brings them back in. He says, do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in what is offered on the altar? What am I saying then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say that what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to participate with demons. Listen to me right here. This is it. This is the context of the entire book. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. You know what Paul just said? You cannot participate in the culture. You cannot go out into their pagan festivals and then come back into the house of God and participate at the Lord's table. Man, this is a dividing line right here. Paul's throwing down. Paul calls him. He says, listen, I'm this, is, this is Brother Jerry's translation, but you can go read it in the Greek yourself if you want to. But Paul says in verse 15, I thought I was talking to smart people. Brother Jerry, you don't know what's going on in my life. You just can't, you, I just can't help it. This, this, and this has happened. I say, you're living in the culture. No, you don't understand. If I do this and this, I say, I'll tell you what, you do that, that happens. It's, it's, it, that's what he said. You're living in the culture. You're letting the culture get, so we're so deep and steeped in the culture, it's eating us up. You, Paul says, you know that idolatry has been the problem with the Jews. Therefore, stay away from temptation. He says, you're sensible people. Don't do that. He, Paul says literally to them, you judge for yourself. You know, Jesus was tempted, and he was tempted in his appetites and his pride and materialism in Matthew chapter 4. Satan said, turn this, this, these rocks into bread. He, he appealed to his, to his appetites, pride. He says, man, go up on the temple, throw yourself off, make a spectacle. Do a miracle and the people will follow you. That, doesn't that sound like the television shows you're watching on TV? We're the miracle people. We're the healing people. They haven't healed anybody. They aren't doing any miracles. Funny how that only happens and works on television. And you know what we do? Many of our people are following these fools. Materialism. False worship. He says to uh, worship, look at all the kingdoms of the world. If you'll worship me, I'll give you all this. Can't, listen. How could Satan think that he was going to give Jesus anything? He created that and owned it. Can I ask you a question? Why are you worshiping people that are telling you 
hey, I'll give you this, or this will happen to you, or you can be blessed if you'll get into the culture. No, your Heavenly Father owns all that, and He's given you everything. Why do we worship people or go after people who promise us stuff that we already own? I don't need the, I don't need the culture's approval of me. As a matter of fact, if the culture do, does approve of me, I have a problem. I don't care what they think about me. The Bible says they're totally depraved and in a sinking ship and they're calling out to me, hey, come join us. That's what the book says. What was it that took Adam and Eve down? Was it necessity? No, God gave them everything they needed. Was it desire? No, they, they had everything they needed. You know what it was? It was curiosity. And, and, the, and the Scripture tells, see, your kids, the fight that you're having with your kids about what you allow in and out of their lives, let me tell you, it's in curiosity. They don't understand. The culture's out there, and they think, there's got to be something better out there than what I'm getting right here. Nah, it's not. Unless you're just looking for hell and demonic worship and stuff like that. Proverbs 27, 20 says, Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. You know, you, you, here's the verse for professional athletes for me. Whosoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. You, you, <laughs> your favorite ball player on your team, and he just loves your city, and he loves your team, and somebody offers him a new contract for about 20 more million dollars, he will be out the door. Let me tell you, you all you'll hear is the sucking sound when he goes out the door. <laughs> He's gone. And you thought he loved you. No, it's about the dollars. It's about the dollars. Ecclesiastes 6-7. Listen, listen to this verse. This is so convicting. A man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. When are we going to learn that our appetites are never satisfied? And here's what Paul says. Paul speaks in verse number 16 of a Christian ceremony just like the pagans have. Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper. And see, and I would assume that if I see you taking the Lord's Supper at Woodlake Baptist Church, I would assume something about you. I would assume that you're born again. Because here's what you're doing. You're saying, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. When we baptize people up here by immersion, what we're saying is that person has identified with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why you can't join Woodlake until you've been immersed. You may be born again and going to heaven, but you're not joining here until you get dumped. Because it's that important. And this is how it relates. Paul says, the Lord's Supper proves so much. Some churches just shove it over in the corner. And when you're ready at some time during the Sunday we have the Lord's Supper, you just go up and get a little bit and that'll be just fine. No, this is a body ordinance. Look what, the, look what Paul actually says right here. Paul says, the cup of blessing that we bless with, that we give thanks for, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The word, the word there for blessings right there is the word eulogy. It's the good word. It's, it's the good word. And Paul is saying, and listen, people ask me, what do I do? I always explain what we do during the Lord's Supper. And you come and you take the bread and you take the juice, and what you're doing is you're saying a good word. You're saying, Lord Jesus, I bless. I put the good word on this blessing that you've given us. I thank you for the blood of Jesus in the, in the body of the broken body of the Lord Jesus. I identify with that. 
That's why I say at the beginning of the service, you can't participate in the Lord's Supper unless you're a believer. It's blasphemy to say, hey, I'm a part of this service. I'm a part of the kingdom. I identify with Jesus Christ. And Paul clearly says, how can you go to the pagan festival and participate in their uh, evil Lord's Supper and then come to the house of God and do the same thing? Woo! Mm-hmm. Boy, is that convicting? How can I turn on my television and say, boy, I really enjoy that? And then come stand behind the table and serve the Lord's Supper to you. How convicting is this? Our behavior reveals who we are. The the word here is poterion, the cup. He says, boy, the cup of blessing. We're talking about poterion is the word for pottery. And I want to remind you that Jesus Christ identified what the cup was. He says that night he took the cup. And then he took the artos, he took the bread. And then he says, this is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. And, and so when we come to the, man, I'm about to burst. When we come to the Lord's table and you hold your little cup and you're waiting on pastor to bless it and we pray over it, what you're saying is, I'm going to die with my faith in the cup. I'm going to die with what Jesus gave me. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. And when you're holding your little wafer, you're going to say, Jesus, I thank you, my Father. Jesus, thank you for taking my punishment, for being bruised and battered for my sin. And Lord, that's what I'm identifying with. And when we baptize someone, we say, man, they're identifying with Christ. How can I go out into the culture and identify with the infidels? Can't be done. And Paul is illustrating this. He's saying, see, and if I see you at the pagan festival, it makes me wonder, how can you eat at the table with the devil and then come to the house of God? See, this is all about the culture. Look, look right here. Sharing together. You know what the word for sharing is? It, I, I love all the different translations that come from this he, we, we talk about the word, the good word, and we, he, the translations are sharing, participation. You know what the word is for there? It's koinonia, fellowship. You see, this is why we don't just say, okay, there's five people off on a retreat somewhere, and they, can, they do the Lord's Supper. No, no, no. This is a church ordinance. We do this together. We come together, church ordinance. And the pastor stands and administers this. Notice in verse 17 a word that's often overlooked because there is one, one body, one bread. We share, we koinonia in the bread together. One, that's the Greek word. It's a cardinal number, one. There's no other element in the Eucharist but Jesus, one. And when we, listen, you getting this? When we come together to Lord's Supper, what we're saying is we all belong to one another. So if I got five members that are living in the culture, they're hurting the body of Christ. Y'all all right? Possibly living, living in the culture is not good for you. Here's Brother Jerry's translation of these verses. I speak to people that are sensible and wise. Flee from idolatry. The good word or the cup of the eulogy equals fellowship in the body due to the blood and body of Jesus Christ. We are identified with Jesus and therefore identify with each other. We're one loaf. 
you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, and when I see you uh, enjoying the culture, it breaks my heart. And if I enjoy the culture, it should break your heart. See, this is the key to the entire book. Paul is saying, see, this is important. This was not a spiritual church. And so all the charismatics are going to get all upset when I get into chapter 12, 13, and 14, and I tell them the truth about what the Word says about spiritual gifts. John MacArthur says that when he taught through 1 Corinthians on the radio, the, the owners of the radio stations called him and said, John, can you tone it down? The charismatics have quit giving. It's because they're in the culture. They want an emotional, out-of-control, people running every, acting like a bunch of crazy people. And Paul brings unity and order and togetherness. We wait on one another. That's, that's what this is. The, Paul says, you have brought, see, these pagans. They, many of the people were saved out of temples where the prostitutes were there. Can you imagine that? Getting saved out of that? and coming into the house of God, and Paul's bringing order. Paul's not telling the folks in Corinth what a good group of people they are. He is spanking their bottoms right here. He's bringing it down. Notice in verse 18, he even illustrates this further. He says in verse number 18, he talks about the Levites. Look at the people of God. Don't those who eat the sacrifices participate in what is offered at the altar? The, the Levites weren't given any land. They were, nothing was allotted to them. And so how did they feed their families? They literally took the, res, the, the remaining portions of the meat that was offered to Jesus in sacrifice and fed their families with that. Now, you talk, I mean, you're talking about togetherness. You're talking about connected to the body of Christ. That, that's amazing. Look, verse... Number 19, what am I saying then? That the food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? Paul says, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not afraid of a, a, some trinket. I'm not afraid of some person that comes to me and talks about booger men and ghosts and goblins. I don't care anything about that. A, a guy's going to put a piece of wood here and he's going to cook half his dinner on it and the other side worship the rest of the wood. I'm not worried about that. There's no spirit in the idols. We're not afraid of that kind of stuff. We're following Jesus. But one thing that we can't do is I can't go to the club on, and, get in this, and get in the culture and then come back to God's house and say, oh, I'm just going to work my way back in the body. No, you're hurt. you've hurt yourself. You, you've, you've pounded yourself literally to the ground. Many Christians live so close to the demonic activity they can't tell the difference between the culture and the house of God. So, the, you know... Here's the, I was taught this, the basics as a young Christian. And this is still as good today as it was 40 years ago. You can be in the world, but not of the world. The boat is in the water, but the water is not in the boat. Now, I don't want to scare you so badly that you can't go places and share Jesus with folks. See, I go just about anywhere. And just, I plop down right in there with them and go to talking to them. I love it when I go to the hospital and somebody catch me at the door before I get in there and say, now, my Aunt Joe's here, or my Aunt Susie's here, my Aunt Cindy's here. I want you to know, Brother Jerry, she's got a terrible mouth. She's crazy. The whole family is afraid of her. And I'm like, be all right, be all right. I've heard those words before. It's okay. Matter of fact, I used to use them. Guess what? About 10 minutes, I have Aunt Susie eating out of my hand. Because I'll find her and I'll go sit right next to her and start cutting up with her. 
And before you know it, before I get out of there, we'll be best buddies, and I'll share Jesus with her before I get out of there. And when we go to pray, I'll say, y'all, come on, let's pray for this brother right here. And I'll grab Susie by the hand. I'll jerk her up and come over here. See, by then, I done worked my way in her heart because I got something in me better than that. I'm not scared of Aunt Susie because she knows how to cuss. I used to work with mechanics, man. <laughs> so it's like, I'm going to tell you about this church. They were so confused. They didn't have a clue. They were so messed up in the culture. I mean, and some folks, our folks are walking at a guilty distance. And Paul says this in 1021, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You can't have part in both the Lord's table and the other table. See, you, you can't do that. You can't share in this together. Uh, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3 that if you're lukewarm, he'll spew you out of his mouth. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, he says, But you're the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into the wonderful light. Once you were a people, once... Once you were a people that didn't know God, but now you are the people of God. Once you didn't have mercy, but now you have received mercy. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says you're a new creation. It's time we acted like it. Y'all all right? Listen to this. Listen, this is so good right here. See, and it's good to put all these in context for us because we quote these verses all the time and don't have a clue what they mean. And then they hit you, boy, boom. And I'm like, oh, man. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You're dead. You were crucified with Christ. R.G. Lee went to the Holy Land one time, and somebody, they came to the place, the, the group leader says, we're at the place we believe called the skull. This is where Jesus was crucified. We believe that. Has anybody ever been here? And, and, and R.G. Lee said, yeah, I was here 2,000 years ago. A lot of people looked at him like he's crazy. He said, no, I was there. I was on the cross. Jesus died for me. When you're baptized, we immerse you because you identified with Christ. You see, I can't, I can't identify with Jesus. And when I accept the culture in me, can I be honest with y'all? In 40 years of knowing Jesus, I don't think there's ever been a day that I lived up to the holiness of God. I go to bed every night saying, God, please forgive Jerry Gray because I did not... Lord, I'm trying, but the flesh is so powerful. My appetites, my pride gets in the way of everything. Lord Jesus, come get me. I can't wait for the day. There's nothing in between me and my Father. Nothing. I mean, I just want to be close to Jesus so badly. I sat out on the porch one night. I built me a little deck. I got out there on the porch, and I was sitting looking at the stars, and I was praying, and I said, God, I'm just so frustrated. And I sat out there and cried because I can't touch him. I can't, I can't get close enough to him because of my sinfulness. You know, I'm dead to the culture. You know, i tell you this little story I made up. It's about Buster the Redneck. And Buster the Redneck was with his buddies, and he said, Hey, hold my beer and watch this. And he was over by Mr. Coy's pasture. And he said, I'm going to ride Mr. Coy's bull. And he jumped up on that bull and he rode around for a while and that bull killed him. All his buddies that went to, he had one good buddy named Bubba. And Bubba went to the funeral. He saw Buster get killed. He went to the funeral. And then he was so sad the next week 
He said, I just got to go, I got to go see Buster. And he went to Buster's house and he said, hey, uh, talked to Buster's mama. He knocked on the door and she came to the door and he said, can Buster come out and play? She said, I can't believe you'd be so cruel to me. Here I am, heartbroken. Buster's gone, Bubba. He's dead. You went to the funeral. You saw that happen. You know what? I had some buddies that after I got saved, they came to my house and they came to knocking. Hey, you want to go with us, so-and-so? I said, no. Buster is dead. I have been crucified with Christ. And I lived dumb enough long enough. And I'm still heading this way with Jesus Christ. Now, now, now listen very carefully. I'm going to ask you to do something. You see, Paul has been talking about Paul setting the table for where he's going. And he's setting the table for the entire talk, context. He's talked about unity in the church, talked about marriage in the church, talked about worship, spiritual gifts, sex, virgins, honoring God with our bodies, holiness. Paul's setting the stage. He's setting the stage. And the overall context for Paul's theology comes out of the fact that this church was not a spiritual church. And some of us are living unspiritual lives. All of this comes from a misunderstanding about mixing Christian values of a biblical life with a pagan culture with whom they lived. 2,000 years later, this preacher right here is doing the same thing. I'm fighting the same fight. I'm called unkind and mean and homophobic and transphobic. And by the way, I am. And if you're not afraid of them, you also have a problem. I didn't say I didn't love them. I didn't say that I don't love the culture. I didn't say that I don't want the culture to come to know Jesus and know what I know. But the culture is dangerous. And you should be afraid of it. There's a hook in everything. But they want the, the Corinthians wanted to live in a culture that supported ecstatic gibberish, wild worship services, just like the pagans in Corinth. And, and we can't bring immorality in the church and be successful and call it Christian. And Paul taught them the truth. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked. This is so important. And you say, Brother Jerry, why is it so important? Watch this. This, this last verse right here, this unique little verse here, he says, uh, don't arouse, verse 22, or provoke the Lord to jealousy. Are we stronger than he is? See, if you're walking at a guilty distance, you always feel like, man, I'm just, I keep hitting a wall. My, my life can't go forward. I'm just beating my head again. You know what? Somebody's fighting against you. It might be the Lord. Y'all all right? Now, I'm going to ask you to do something really. I'm going to ask you to do something really strange today, okay? If, if you're just living in the culture and you've been eating dinner with the devil, I want you to change tables. I've done this before. Have you ever been sitting at a table 
at a fellowship or a Christian function, and somebody at the table started gossiping or grumbling, or telling dirty jokes or being inappropriate, and you just picked up your plate and went to another table. You ever done that? That's about the most striking thing you can probably do at a Christian fellowship is, and what you, what you get up for? Well, I wasn't going to be a part of that. I'm going to come over here with some people talking about Jesus. Some, somebody see me and Sanford in the parking lot and said, look at them out there. Look at them. Guarantee you they're three sheets into theology over there. They're talking about the second coming. They're talking about premillennialism, and they're talking about all this. They're talking about the atonement and redemption. Guess what? You're right. Right? I'm going to get my plate and go sit with Sanford. That's what I'm going to do. What does the Bible say? Listen to me. If you're watching by way of the Internet today and you never gave Jesus Christ your heart, Revelation 3, it says, Jesus says this. If any man, I will knock on the door. If he will open the door and let me come in, I will sit down and have dinner with you. It says, I will sup with you you want to get saved ask Jesus to come eat dinner with you <laughs> it's just that simple say Lord have fellowship with me and I pray and I see this is why I spent so much time with this because the next chapter guess what the next chapter is about chapter 11 it's about worship and what is one of the number one things we do is worship? What's, he, what's in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11? The Lord's Supper. And so when we have the Lord's Supper, we're going to have it pretty soon too. Right on the heels of this. And you'll be able to participate and thank God for all he's done for you. Amen. If you've never received Christ today, I beg you, just get up and just change tables. Leave the culture. Come to Christ. Ask Jesus to save you, cleanse you, and forgive you. And I promise you, he will come into your heart, and you will never go hungry again. Father, in Jesus' name.